Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Welcome to this week's episode of People First, and I'm so excited to introduce to you my friend and colleague, David Noor. David is an internationally recognized leading expert on strategic business relationships. He and I have a passion for the importance of cultivating winning relationships at work. He is the author of 10 books, including Relationship Economics, Return on Impact, Co-Create, which I know is somewhere on my bookcase. And today's feature, we're going to be talking about his newest book, Curve Benders. So listen in and listen up because Noor is worth listening to. David, welcome to People First. Morag, it is good to be with you. Well, as every episode, this is about leadership journeys. Where, how have we got to where we are today? But more importantly, leaving our listeners and our watchers, since we also go on YouTube, with tips and techniques that will allow them to elevate and accelerate their career success. But I want to take you back to the beginning, before you'd written 10 books, before you'd consulted with Fortune 100 companies and companies around the world, before you'd contributed to Forbes and Huffington Post and everywhere else. When you were a wee lad, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> you're, taking, you're taking me back down through the memory lane. I actually wanted to be an astronaut. I uh, yeah. I saw a, a rocket launch, and I'm dating myself because this was even pre the space shuttle program. Mm -hmm. So I saw a rocket launch. Uh, I saw the capsule landing. Uh, and I think ever since I was four or five years old, I wanted to go into space. So uh, all the way leading up to high school, I was actually headed for the Air Force Academy. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we figured out that I needed glasses and corrective vision. And they offered me to fly choppers. And I said, no, thanks. I want to go do something else. So that's that's been an aspir lifelong aspiration. All right. So the pivot point then is A, the, uh, the, the eyeglasses. But then of all the things you could have chosen, mm. being a strategic business advisor, focusing on the importance of relationships at work, what was the pivot point that got you to that? I, uh, I genuinely believe life has a fascinating way of showing us its intended path. And by that, I mean, when one door closes, I've always believed, or when I've been rejected for something, it's been really directing me to something else. So my career is in three phases. Uh, phase mm -hmm. one was technology. So IBM, Silicon Graphics, business objects, uh, technology sales, sales management, product marketing arena. Then I saw guys twice my age doing the exact same thing. And I said, I wanted more. Mm -hmm. So I went to what became PwC and the consulting route. And I went to graduate school at Emory here in Atlanta, uh, after which I got recruited as president of a startup and uh, raised the $10 million round, moved up to New York, merged and sold that business. And then I spent six years more at a private equity firm, buying and mm -hmm. selling 110 different companies. And I saw that the best teams didn't necessarily have great products or services, but they leveraged their internal and external relationships to take a mediocre idea to new heights. Mm -hmm. And I also saw incredible ideas led by dysfunctional teams that went off a cliff. <laughs> and uh, you, you, you and I have seen that, right? And I'm like, there's got to be more than just a product market fit, which leads me to the third phase, which is 19 years ago, I went out on my own doing 
consulting, coaching, educating, speaking, and all the stuff that you and I do. Yeah. And it's funny because I listen to that and it just makes me go, oh my goodness, that's why we're such good friends is that there's so many parallels because I had 15 years in finance. So I may not have worked with a hundred companies, but certainly lent millions of pounds to different companies and industries. And like you described, why didn't they all deliver the results that they were expecting on their cash flow forecast, et cetera? And it came down to the quality of, or the lack thereof, of the relationships both around the executive team table, but also across the organization and with stakeholders. So love that. So here we come now, book number 10. Oh my goodness, man, are you ever not writing? So what was the inspiration for Curve Benders? Yes. You haven't said everything that needed to be said, but what's the inspiration for Curve Benders? You're going to love this. So Curve Benders is actually number 11. Yeah. And, and um, I, I start every book with a question. So full disclosure for you and your audience, I'm 53. And I was really curious about what the next decade of work will look like for me. So I've always believed I'll retire when I die, right? I'm just not mm -hmm. the retiring type. I may slow down, but, um, you know, particularly, you know, my research began before this pandemic. This pandemic just accelerated, I think, a lot of that introspection, a lot of that values recalibration for all of us mm -hmm. of, what do I enjoy doing? What what lights me up? And candidly, what sucks the life out of me? And I just, I don't want to do that anymore. So I began this journey around disruption and, and what could be the headwind, but also potential tailwind and maybe even some turbulence along that way. And our research over four years led to 15 forces that mm -hmm. are going to continue to disrupt the way we work, but just like this pandemic, also the way we live and mm -hmm. the way we play and the way we serve or give to others. So to remain relevant, and I think that's the biggest challenge for all of us as we enter the fall, if not the winter of our careers, is how do we remain relevant? I believe you have to continue to learn and grow. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, continue to learn and grow at an accelerated pace. And I'll talk more about that in a second. So to the fastest way for all of us to learn and grow at an accelerated pace, I believe is through a few, but really strategic relationships. And as I started to delineate for you, for your audience, if you think about a stair step in relationship economics, I talked about how to turn everyday contacts mm -hmm. into relationships. Mm -hmm. Then more recently, I talked about how to turn those relationships into strategic relationships as mm -hmm. co-creators. Mm -hmm. Above and beyond that, stair step are really a few more ag relationships that come into our lives that beyond any short-term performance execution or results create a profound impact in shaping not just what we accomplish, but who we become. And if you look back at that early college professor that lit a fire within you and shaped your academic journey, or that early manager that took you under his or her wings and taught you not just finance, but mm -hmm. how to listen, how to be more empathetic, how to be a servant leader, how to be a better husband, wife, spouse, partner, manager, leader, human being, those individuals, those relationships leave an indelible imprint on us that we remember 15, 20, 30 years later. And beyond just execution, they shape us. 
They shape the leader that we become. And we remember them as such decades after we've had any interactions with them. So those are the people I call curve benders. So in the book I wrote about who are they, where are they, how do you find them? More importantly, how do we become one? Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's all very well having others. It's how do you show up as a curve bender for other people and leave that wake, that ripple effect? And I love your metaphor of the airplane, you know, and the turbulence, because it's easy to be a curve bender, or in my language, an ally on the good days. It's what happens when the proverbial hits the fan. No. So the 15 forces... Which are the ones that are your personal favorites? And give us one that, from your research, would be surprising, but we tend to overlook. My favorite is probably it's going to have to be technology because mm -hmm. I, I've been blessed by technology. I, I, uh, I've benefited from it. And it's one that it is driving. It's one of those transitionary forces that I talk about in the book. And it's one that cuts across your personal uh, sphere of control, right? Mm -hmm. How we've all had to, you and I used to speak, you know, a hundred times a year and, and we suddenly had to go all virtual, right? So, mm -hmm. we, you know, we learned and adapted our value through technology. It's also very relevant to our organizations, our industries, but it cuts across to a lot of things that we don't have any control over. I recently saw a demonstration, more of a uh, artificial intelligence machine learning engine that scanned and analyzed 10,000 sheets of documents mm -hmm. in eight seconds. So if your value add today is reviewing documents, that's going to be very short-lived value proposition. Mm -hmm. And I believe technology will very soon shift to, if you think about today, humans are augmented by technology. Humans kind of, technology helps us do our work. I believe there's gonna be a fundamental shift where humans will augment the technology. So the other way, let the technology do the mundane. We still haven't figured out how to make that technology creative or empathetic or yes. relational in many ways. Let humans augment that technology. So technology is my favorite. In terms of, I think, something that we continue to overlook one of the personal forces that I talked about was grit. And mm -hmm. you know, Angela Duckworth's seminal work mm -hmm. by that book, you know, her definition of passion meets perseverance. I researched and found um, uh, a, a guy named Jim Thorpe, which if you or your audience have never heard of him, it's not unusual. He was uh, a, a Native American uh, 1912 Olympian. And if you Google Jim Thorpe's name, one of the most famous pictures you'll see, he was a field and track runner. Amore looks like he's wearing two different colored socks. And it turns okay. out that the morning of his race, his shoes were stolen. And he dug through garbage to find two different size shoes. And he wore an extra pair of socks just yeah. so he could race that day. And that day he won two gold medals. Two. So in shoes the wrong size. And and it's an example of just that sheer resilience, that perseverance, that tenacity, that resolve. How many times you and I meet professionals who use all kinds of crutches or excuses about why something can happen, right? I don't mm -hmm. have my PowerPoint deck. I ran out of a battery. I don't have access to the server on and on and on versus get creative, get resourceful, 
get scrappy, find a way, find a way to overcome, find a way to persevere, find a way to go through walls if you have to, to get it done. And, and that grit, it may be a generational challenge. You and I both have, you know, college age kids. I certainly have tried to drive that into my kids. Mm -hmm. It may be a geographic kind of thing where we're really comfortable and we become complacent. But I believe grit is one of those things that is fundamentally going to set, continue to set those that identify and are tapped into doing greater things than others who simply coast by. So as you conducted your research and you identified these 15 forces, what was surprising for you personally? Mm. Because I think there is often a mistake, I mean, having written Cultivate, um, that we therefore live and personify these concepts unfailingly every day. And yet you and I are human and we don't necessarily, we have off days. So when you look at those 15 forces, which are you paying particular attention to for you? You've obviously got a fairly full technology thing. You come from a technology background. So I'm going to assume it's one of the others, but I might be wrong. So which no, of the 15 is yours? You're exactly right. And and it's actually geopolitics that mm. that really surprised me because it's very easy, Morag, to think of I mean, you and I are immigrants. So we've lived abroad, we've worked abroad, we, you know, we we came to this incredible country and we've decided to stay here. Mm -hmm. It's very easy for particularly Americans to believe that political strife on the other side of the world doesn't impact me. And that I don't need to know or care about or, or pay any attention to it. And what you don't realize is how incredibly interconnected and mm -hmm. integrated our global economy is. And a political hotspot in one part of the world. I could take the recent Israeli-Palestinian mm -hmm. conflict. I can take Miramar. I can take a lot of other parts of the world. And they dramatically... They profoundly impact everything from our raw access to raw material, to supply chain, mm -hmm. to currency valuation or devaluation, to access to available talent. Yep. So uh, again, uh, the end of chapter two on the 15 forces, I specifically created a scorecard. And hey. I said, really look at all of these forces and both grade yourself of your knowledge of your awareness of each of them. The other one is, what do you need to do about it? What do you know? How can you leverage your relationships to become more astutely aware of not just what's happening, but what are the unintended consequences? What are the potential ripple effects yep. of something that on the surface could mean nothing, and yet it could have a, a big impact on your personal professional success? So I love that. And the global pandemic was a case in point. If anybody was left unimpacted by that, I would be surprised. But we saw how quickly it spread, how quickly it undermined social, um, global supply chains, how quickly it impacted everybody from those who had the luxury and could work from home, for those who had to make do with a kitchen table, to education, to those who had to, essential workers, go out to work. There is a huge impact that we're living through right now. Touch up on another one that, that I think is important for us to talk about, which is the recovery. Mm. Again, here in the States, we're blessed. We, we have access, you know, now uh, ample access to vaccines. 
there are still a lot of Iran included, underdeveloped and and right countries that don't have that luxury. And they're not going to be able to open their borders. And certainly the more mm-hmm. Western countries are not going to give those folks visas to access. So I've been thinking a lot about the shape of the recovery. And most people understand a V-shaped, which is like a, a, a Nike swish and a mm-hmm. pretty quick recovery. Some people are even aware of the U-shape, which might mm-hmm. take a little longer. I'm particularly concerned with what's being referred to as the K-shape recovery, which <laughs> is part of the population, in essence, knowledge-based, internet access, you know, well-educated, that will quickly recover. And more, I think of those that didn't have access to the internet the last 14 months. Think of that single mom with two kids who can't afford a, a laptop and access to high-speed access, you know, to, by the way, also have to teach the kids from school. And so I fear that the haves and have-nots are going to even become a wider delineation. And, mm-hmm. and that's going to be really difficult to recover from for many individuals, families, and communities. And I love that idea of the K, and you're right, whether it's a single parent, whether it's um, economic background. I mean, the announcements about donating and giving vaccines globally as a start. We've seen the headlines about tax inequality. There is so much that is impacting us, and it may feel like it's, well, it's them, it's the rich few, or it's them, it's the, but it impacts us all. It is all interconnected. And so this brings us back then to the 15 forces and how do we be curve benders for ourselves, but also for others? And who is my curve bender? And you took the work of Whitney Houston and the S curve. And it was interesting because you made it three dimensions. So it's like, okay, so why three dimensions and what's the S curve? Sure. No, I'm a big fan of Whitney's and and the personal S curve for your audience. You know, a lot of organizations use the S curve to really rethink, reimagine, reinvent, reinvigorate their product portfolio, their innovation initiatives. And Whitney, you know, in her seminal work on Disrupt Yourself, that's the name of her book, she talks about using that S-curve as a, as a personal uh, growth journey. I, I thought a lot about uh, that reinvention. And for your audience, um, I would submit that the arc of any job is about three to five years, mm-hmm. about in a second. Early on, you're trying to figure out where the coffee is. By about three to five years, you've figured out how to do the job. You've figured out how you know how it works in the ecosystem and the dependencies and so on and so forth. So as you reach the upper end of that S, if you do nothing, you're going to flatline. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to decline because I, I know it. You know it. Everybody else knows it. You get bored. You start to wing it more. Mm-hmm. You start to skip meetings, and and it just starts to dilute your brand. It dilutes your relationships. It just doesn't go well. So, I thought about that reinvention, that personal S curve, and then you you you've read my material. You know that at the very top of it, I believe there exists something I call a refraction point. And I'm mm-hmm. going to bring the audience back to our first, you know, physics class. If you ever shine a light through you know, glass of water or a prism, you saw it bend mm-hmm. and also gave us the rainbow. Yep. Well, at that refraction point, I believe curve benders come into our lives that do a couple of things. One, accelerate our ability or our struggle through, through that struggle, our journey through that struggle. More importantly, 
they identify options for us and they give us that path to go pursue other things, pursue other strengths, other roles, other projects, initiatives, and whatnot. So when I studied Whitney's work, I saw that you and your audience may know that I ride motorcycles. I'm passionate mm-hmm. about riding. I'm, my wife and kids bought me a scooter 10 years ago. I've now been to 14 different schools and I ride really fast on a track and I ride cross country. And I want to do more than just throw my leg over the saddle. I wanted to learn the, the dynamics, the physics of how to ride and ride well. And more, I got found myself applying the lessons I was learning in a motorcycle school. So in essence, one part of my world, entry, apex, exit, into my coaching. So I'm asking a leader, how do you plan to enter that challenge or opportunity? What a success while you're in it looks like? How will you leave it? How will you exit that? And and what I found was the the learning, the knowledge, that, that growth mindset. Mm-hmm. That digital mindset, that entrepreneurial mindset from a very different part of my life was just as relevant in others. So what I saw was that third dimension in your skills, in your knowledge, in your behavior, where you can take, borrow, piecemeal, right? Jigsaw puzzle, put different parts of learning in the application of that learning in other parts of your life. And if you do that, I believe... It will accelerate your journey in that S-curve. It will also make your personal reinvention shorter and it will make you, it will help you remain relevant that many more chances. Well, yeah, I'm either thinking it's either a capital S because you're getting there quicker to the next level, or maybe it's a whole load of little S's, but you're getting through them quicker and learning each time. But the key is it's not a one and done. It's not one S-curve we're on. It's It's like a snake. We're going to have new ones. And your curve benders are the ones that don't get you out of your comfort zone and help you get to that next success curve sooner. You're exactly right. So what I found was I identified, I interviewed executives who were able to daisy chain Mm -hmm. their S curves to each other. Yeah, exactly right. It made them shorter. By the way, my coaching clients are now asking me questions that I'm bringing back to the motorcycle school. So I'm learning that. That cross-pollination of that yeah. is helping me think very differently about other facets of my life as well. See, I love that because one of the things that has bugged me through my whole career is this whole debate of work-life balance, implying that they are separate things, but they're not. They are braided. We get one life of which work is a part of the pie chart. And to your point, as an executive coach, you've got your business acumen, you've got your raising kids, which teaches a whole load of patience and um, psychological warfare, and then the motorcycle and everything else. And when we bring that all together as a powerful coach or as a powerful, you know, advising an executive team, that's when you start thinking differently and unlocking possibilities in new ways. It's exciting. It it really is. And and, I'm delighted you brought it up because I likewise, I I wrote in Curve Benders this idea of work-life blending. Mm-hmm. predominantly because you and I've talked about this. I don't know about you. When I'm doing email, I'm thinking, I wish I was on vacation. <laughs> when, I'm on, when I'm on vacations, I'm thinking the email is piling up. So yes. work-life balance is a myth. And it's this constant yeah. struggle uh, between our personal aspirations and our professional obligations. 
Yes. So the sooner you can blend the two, and you and I were just talking about my recent trip to Colorado. So I live in Atlanta, flew to Colorado. I moderated a two-day off-site leadership retreat. Then Wendy and the kids flew in, picked them up from Denver Airport, went down to the broad, the beautiful Broadmoor, oh, Colorado <laughs> Springs, delivered a, a keynote, and then we went and looked at universities for my son. So yeah. the sooner you can integrate, the sooner you can blend those two facets of your life, you're exactly right. We don't have a work life and a personal life. We have one life. Exactly. And I think the, the happier you're going to be, the more fulfilled you're going to feel. Well, it reminds me of John Strzelecki and his work around the big five for life. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But that does bring me nicely to the so what. So I am uh, I identify the 15 forces. There are S-bends, there are refraction points, there are growth grids, there's all this stuff. But where do I know where I'm at? My And you use the phrase market value, you used the word brand earlier on. So help me understand how do I measure it and how do I know where I'm at and where I'm going? Great question. I don't know about you, but I've read books where I'm fascinated by the topic and then I find myself scratching my head like, what, what am I supposed to do with this? Right. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't want any of my books to be that way. So the last chapter of Co-Create is the Co-Create Canvas. Similarly, the last chapter and, and Curvebenders, only seven chapters, the last chapter of Curvebenders is really a roadmap. And, 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 I, and I brought insights from my coaching work. So to break it down for your audience, I often talk about your journey from now to next. Mm -hmm. You have to make the time for introspection and really ascertain where am I today? And I think this pandemic, Morag, I believe is, is an impetus for us to rethink, reimagine, if not reinvent work. And, and what, again, what gets us excited, what lights us up, and what just sucks the energy out of us that we don't want to do anymore. So if you identify your now, here's where I am today, and in three years, in five years, a realistic timeline, I want to lead a PNL. I want to go work internationally. I want to leave my corporate role and go run a franchise. I, I'm mm -hmm. indifferent of what that is. But you need a sense of clarity. You need a sense of, again, your journey from now to next. Mm -hmm. You have that. The gap then becomes our plan. And in that gap, I actually identify seven steps, very practical, pragmatic ways of you've got to show up as the best version of yourself and make yourself attractive to potential curve benders. Because these people are busy. They don't have time. They don't have bandwidth to waste. They want to see the best version of you. And when they get involved, when they, you know, somebody gives us advice and, and interestingly enough, all of our research shows that we initially fight it, right? More, I can't be right about that. She, she, she doesn't know me. She doesn't understand my world. Yeah. And we fight it and we keep going down our, our wrong you know, dirt road. And, and then we have one of those V8 moments. Oh my God, she's exactly right. And I, and we come back and, and, and it sets us on a new journey. So the steps are encompass a personal commitment to, again, bring a growth, digital, and an entrepreneurial mindset, a professional commitment to exceed. I've always believed, I don't care if you're a, a, a garbage collector, be the best garbage collector you can. So a professional commitment to exceed expectations of us, a catalyst that goes off in our brain that says either... I've hit a ceiling or I aspire to reach a higher mm -hmm. level, a different level, 
which then leads to what I call immersive uh, immersion, right? In that uh, I want to learn as much as I can about a PNL or as much as I can about owning and running a franchise. That's when you really double down on your strategic relationships and you take a one pager to them of this is my journey from now to next. Here's where I could use your help. Here's what I've researched. And a few will invest time, effort, and resources, including their relationships and you. And that's when they need you to see your agile execution. Mm -hmm. They need to see that you're blocking off time to make progress on that journey. And the more they have a front row seat to your progression, the more you can count on what I call a connection cadence to come back and update them on your progress. But those seven steps yeah. become, in essence, a roadmap in your journey from now to next. I love that. And it comes down to the very first point, which is you can't assume that your curve benders, your allies, know what it is that you need from them or what you're aspiring to. You have to, in your one page, be able to articulate it, because if you don't know where you're going, I can't help you. But also then you have to have the courage to ask Ask specifically for what you need from those curve benders and allies. You're exactly right. And you and I have been blessed to get to know Marshall Goldsmith. And Marshall talks about this, right? Mm -hmm. if, if all of us could achieve our aspirations, we wouldn't need anybody else, right? And, you know, if, if, if Luke Skywalker could become a Jedi, you wouldn't need Obi-Wan. So you have to have the courage to ask for help. And I would submit to you, not, not complete strangers, but certainly your relationships, your allies mm-hmm. want to yeah. help. They don't know how to help. They don't know, yeah. you know, I, I'm looking for a job. Well, okay, so what kind of a job and what kind of a company am? Where's your risk profile and are you willing to relocate? And, right, what's, again, where are you personally and professionally? And have you done your due diligence on the companies and the relationships that you want to get introduced to? So don't add to my plate Arm me with the ammunition to intelligently introduce you. Arm me with the ammunition to intelligently think about who do I know, what do I know, what relationships do I have, what resources do I have access to that can support your efforts. And you're going to dramatically improve your ability to get the help, get the support from your allies, from your strategic relationships, and really identify those curve vendors that will have a profound impact on both your direction and destination. So, Noor, thank you for giving us just a taste of the wealth of information within your book, Curvebenders. I'll make sure that links to that are in the show notes. But as we come to the end of our time together, what final thoughts do you have for the leaders listening and how can they get a hold of you? It's very kind of you to have me. So thank you. And for your audience, I know you and I deeply believe in the same notion that beyond your academic foundation, beyond your professional pedigree, your biggest asset is your portfolio of relationships. Mm-hmm. And I would submit in the future of work with continued disruption coming at us, your relationships are also your only sustainable differentiator. So the best way to learn more about me and my work is our website, which is just norgroup, N-O-U-R group.com. As you've been able to do, I would also encourage your audience to come join us in our private online community we built called the Nor Forum. So if you just go to norgroup.com slash forum, we're up to about 2,500 folks. I'm there every day, and I'd welcome a chance to continue this conversation. Noor, thank you. I look forward to book number 12. But first of all, I'm going to process and apply the concepts from book number 11. But thank you for sharing your time today. Thanks for having me. 
thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.